So if the podcast is over, I think now's a good time to say I forgot to record. No, you did not. Oh my God. What the hell? Do you want to do the introductions again? Well, yeah, for sure. Okay. <laughs> so I'm not Teo, I'm Ben, but I'm with Teo. And I'm not Ben, I'm Teo, but I'm with Ben. And this is... Ben and Teo's podcast. Which we've called Pixel Vision. That's going terribly again. No, that was good. That was good. I like that. We came up with the name Pixel Vision years and years and years ago before we ever got around to making a podcast. And what, what we think of as pixel vision is when you've been playing a computer game so long and then you go to bed and you close your eyes and all you can see is images of the computer game going on in front of your eyelids yeah halo basically Basically, halo is the one that you have the most memories of it for sure playing 10 hours of halo going to bed closing your eyes at a ridiculous hour usually about 3 or 4 a.m and then just continuing to play halo in your sleep which ironically is pretty much the plot of hypnospace outlaw yeah it is (laughs) Good segue, good segue into the game. This time on Pixel Vision. So we've been playing Hypnospace Outlaw, which is essentially a simulation game. And it simulates the internet as it was in 1999. But instead of using the internet on a computer, you're using it on a headband, which you wear while you sleep. And it simulates the whole computer. So you have a desktop with a background and icons little applications you can uh have a little music player and do little interactions with it like that as well it's kind of like an internet emulator in a way isn't it Mm. early internet emulator i mean to be honest this is where i would say the game for me personally even the premise i struggled with just because in much the same way as with the game like Papers, Please, you know, the sort of Soviet set one where you're you're a border control guy just stamping passports and checking stuff. Mm. Like those are jobs that people are paid to do because they're extremely tedious <laughs> and not particularly rewarding. And in a similar way, although obviously there are curiosities and novelties in this and quirks that are meant to be really funny and at the very least moderately entertaining. At the end of the day, your job is still to moderate and you're trawling through badly designed websites looking for breaches of protocol and security and that kind of stuff. And to be honest, I just didn't find that particularly engaging. Yeah. So the way those puzzles work, just uh, for a bit of context, is that basically you get given, you get prompted to crack down on, for instance, copyright infringement or malicious software distribution or something like that. And you search, and so you'll get a little email from head office uh, saying, you know, this is what we'd like you to look out for. And then you kind of go into the, into the internet and try and track down examples of that. And when you do, you have a little enforcement hammer and you can click it and it bans that section of the page or whatever. Um, and so the puzzles tend to come, particularly in the beginning of the game, at least before the story really develops in the form of an email called, with a case number like case one. <laughs> um, and it'll say, you know, can you try and crack down on this image that we've seen going around? And so you do. And once you've done it a sort of minimum of four or five times, then you can close that case and move on to the next one. And that's, that's kind of how it develops to begin with, isn't it? And they get progressively harder, the puzzles, in terms of what they're asking you to solve. I also felt, for me, and I know you're more into this style of game, but the aesthetic just doesn't appeal. 
like I get that there's a comedy to it, to the sort of Alta Vista, GeoCities, early web, uh, all of the massive pixelation, the bouncing things, the annoying noises every time you open a window or close a window, like gimmicky sound effects, gimmicky downloads, like all of these different elements that did exist in the early web. And this is obviously meant to be sort of a fond, nostalgic reflection on those things. But actually, it just reminded me how annoying that was and why we've ended up moving away from that kind of anarchic clutter towards the more minimalist thing that we've got today, which was in a way, I guess, pioneered by Google when they just stripped down everything off their homepage and just gave you a search bar. It borrows like the aesthetics of the early internet, but I, I mean, I can't remember what really that well, what the early internet was like in terms of vibe, but I feel like it's, it's a satire more on like the internet now than it is the internet then but with just all of the trappings of the old internet if that makes sense no how do you mean <laughs> sorry like being a moderator and being uh, a moderator on the internet and uh censorship and things like that are really uh, are like key things that are going on today mm. um but i mean i guess they were key things going on then as well yeah I, I don't know much about it other than uh, watching Holt and Catch Fire is pretty much my internet history, <laughs> like go-to reference. It's funny that you say that because Holt and Catch Fire also felt like a point of reference to me as well. Do you think it's just because it's the sort of uh, beginnings of the technology and the incubation of the technology through to what we're seeing today? And that's kind of the plot and premise behind Holt and Catch Fire as well. Mm. Holt and Catch Fire, by the way, for anyone listening who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about, is a fantastic TV show. Um, that ran for, I think, like four or five series. It um, was four, four series, yeah. Yeah, and is definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it. Um, also, the HypnoCoin, which is the in-game currency, is, is a clear reference to microtransactions in, in games now, but also, I suppose, just those general pseudo-currencies which corporations create, like, I don't know, Xbox had... Xbox Microsoft currency, Microsoft yeah. currency. Like, there's there's loads of those. And Amazon did around. as well, didn't they? You could buy Amazon coins and buy stuff mm. for a while. So, so that's a but that I don't think, to to my knowledge, that kind of stuff wasn't happening in the late nineties. Like, that's a that's a pretty modern phenomena. Yeah, maybe um, I'm not sure about that. To be honest, I'm not. I maybe I'm not as okay with all the history of it as I should be to get all the jokes. But although that actually brings me on to another another kind of issue I have with it, which is. When it's funny, it's because it, the whole game feels like one big in-joke that you as the audience, as the, as the gamer and, and as the audience in a way, and them mm -hmm. as the developers are all in on. You're kind of in on this like shared nostalgia, this shared jokes that are going on, running themes and that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And when you are in on that joke, it does feel kind of entertaining and at least a bit amusing. Like there are times when I did laugh out loud. Those times were few and far between, but maybe after playing Disco Elysium, my, my bar was way too high. But mm. it, I wasn't laughing anywhere near as much in that game, but I certainly kind of had a few smug snickers to myself kind of thing. Yeah. But in general, Same. it was more of a sort of smile or a knowing acknowledgement of, oh yeah, I remember how that was or something like that. Mm. Then there were times when if I didn't feel like I got the joke and something was unfolding, I just felt like I wasn't in the clique. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, did, did, you, did you feel like you related to any of the characters or did you feel like you were like invested in any of the characters' stories at all? during the game like the first the first thing i did um just kind of because i was going through it quite melodically at the start was i read all of the company employee profiles and there's about 
maybe six or seven of them on there and they're all quite distinct and there's this tension between the, like the two brothers who created merchant soft and hypnospace one who's clearly the more corporate of the two and the other one who's a little bit more anarchic the sort of programmer um game developer side of things but the, but again like oh, i mean that does develop as, as the plot, plot goes on but never in any way which i felt particularly attached or against either of them yeah mostly because i was just observing the story the whole time and just like reading the interaction which i did have with hypnospace was so limited that it felt like i couldn't get invested yeah i know what you mean i think when you first are introduced to those characters you're meant to identify uh, i think it's is it adrian and dylan yeah the brothers it is yeah i think adrian is meant to be the sort of very corporate he's the guy who makes the financial deals he's always pushing for more sponsorship and branding opportunities and commercialization of the product mm. and dylan is meant to be kind of the creative troubled genius who just wants to make this great vision he's got and bring people together and i think for that reason they definitely pitch it as though you ought to be drawn towards dylan's character he's the kind of classic underdog that you want to support just let the guy develop his vision whereas adrian represents you know corporate dominance and everything wrong with capitalism <laughs> um yeah and the game does play with those ideas but then as the plot develops that all kind of comes apart and dylan's character is never very sympathetic i wouldn't say there's never a point when you're really rooting for him no and as the game goes on that that lessens even more how are we going to deal with spoilers by the way because last time when we when we did a podcast we got uh, some some feedback that our spoilers were dropped like bombs decimating the enjoyment of the game for our listeners well so spoilers i mean it's different for everyone for me personally like i i avoid all like sometimes i'll read a review but mostly i'll avoid content about a game until i've played it and then after i've played the game i'll go and seek out content about it and so that's mm. kind of what i imagined this to be more of is like once you've played the game come and listen to us talk about it and maybe you'll find that interesting um so yeah. but just just to, to cater for both i think the first half we should just not have any spoilers and then the second half make it really clear and then go into spoilers because i want to be able to talk about the whole game like i played the whole game yeah yeah of course um me too especially as a lot of the plot elements um and your enjoyment of the game hinge on on plot developments and how the story unfolds and yeah. and that's kind of critical in discussing it all right but for now then let's keep clean mm. uh, and not and not go there yet really quickly going back to the comparison with papers please you made a negative comparison with papers please like the set you that you had the same problems with that as you did with um with hypnospace as you did with papers please that the work is just tedious but i absolutely loved papers please like it's one of my favorite games and that's because i think it simulates the role that it's trying to get you to do so perfectly mm. and there is there is player interaction in that game like it's your choice whether you can whether you're allowing someone into the country or not um and just through that decision uh brings up like loads of emotions and ethical choices throughout the game which i found really interesting and compelling whereas this was the complete opposite because there was i had no real interaction with the characters um, it di didn't feel like that. I totally agree with you. Sticking on the ethical dilemma for a minute, I also thought that part of the anticipated genius of the game was going to be that by putting you in this situation of moderator, you were getting asked to do things by corporate that you thought 
actually, I'm not sure how I feel about this, and you'd encounter resistance from users and really you might have solidarity with them. And maybe there were ways that you could sort of actually side with the users while really cutting off corporate. And that, that never gives, the game never gives you the opportunity to do that. And actually, if anything, you feel um, like a tool. That's the only way that it maybe does represent society. You feel like a tool for corporate. Do this thing, you do it. And if you don't do it, you can't progress to the next case. So there's no real choice or autonomy in the game in that regard. Mm. Who do you think the audience are for this game? Because one of the things I was thinking while I was playing it is I was very conscious that it's been critically acclaimed. Mm. Audiences seem to have really enjoyed it. On Steam, it's got an overwhelmingly positive. It does. Um, on Metacritic, I think it's similarly high. Uh, so, so clearly there are players who are playing it who are absolutely loving it and finding a lot to identify with and really getting immersed in what's going on. And actually, as I was playing through it, I mean, we'll get to it, but a lot of the puzzles really do become tricky to to solve. And I ended up going and watching various guides and that kind of stuff mm. to, to figure out where I should be going and what I was doing wrong. And even with that, one of the guys I was watching, he'd completed the game, but he just enjoyed the environment of the game. So he was still just kind of reading pages and basically carrying on enforcing, even though even though the plot had finished. Um, so there is there is definitely an audience wow, for this I, game. I, and I just wonder whether we're not it for some reason. And if so, what that reason is. I feel like there's something else going on with that guy. Like it's it, he's, a, he's his own little satire if he's still in the game and moderating all this time. <laughs> especially after what takes place during the game but like towards its final acts yeah um but yeah it is told in acts actually Mm. yeah that's worth that's worth noting you get these time jumps so the game starts Mm. and you're in kind of getting close to the year 2000 i think it's 99 isn't it yeah late night um and then you kind of there are various incidents that happen and then time jumps forwards and you're a little bit closer to the year 2k and then another incident happens and you jump forwards again. And finally, there's an incident where you jump um, more significantly forwards. Yeah. Like you say, the puzzles, I looked up a couple of the solutions to the puzzles. I'll say which one it is. It's the one where you're in the freelance, which is essentially at some point during the game, before you become an enforcer, five pages are taken down and they're the most popular pages and they've all been amalgamated into this one other page against the user's will. So in order to rebel against that, the users of those pages have created this kind of picture adventure. If anyone's ever played the game Sorcery, it's a little bit like that, where you have a map and you click arrows to go up and down and sideways. But it's really rudimentary, like using just, well, I guess the internet as it was in 1999 to do that. Yeah. Just before you move on to the the puzzle specifics that you got stuck on, on. talking about the area of freelance, I saw that as kind of an old school representation of a sort of deep web of the sort of Tor browser environment of onion pages. So they've kind of created their own sub level platform Mm. where pages are hidden and you have to have, before you can even visit the freelance, you have to have another piece of software. You kind of have to unlock another piece of software in the game so that you have access to it. That's kind of a game mechanic they use again and again, isn't it? You find yourself encountering a problem and you realise, oh, actually, I'm missing some piece of software that would enable me to do that. 
Although the game doesn't handhold you in that regard, it's very much one of those games where it doesn't give you so much of a tutorial as just lets you trial and error and figure things out. Yeah. Which is is both rewarding when you do figure them out, but also extremely frustrating when you're not given the direction. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I saw the Freelands as sort of a, a hidden web, onion page style, but 90s representation of that. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's kind of unclear why it's allowed to happen or how it's allowed to happen when presumably the people in charge of hypnospace, the programmers and stuff, um, do, like are in complete control. Although I suppose they're not. And that's kind of one of the things which happens over the course of the game is that they're really not in charge of this space, which they're running. And somehow all of the users have quite a lot of power to create their own content and stuff online, mm. however much you try and lock it down with your ban hammer. But that I found really frustrating as well, because I felt like everyone else in this fictional world was having more fun than I was as the player. Like we were given none of that freedom to create within it at all. All we, all we were given the freedom to do is observe and ban. Yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't very fun. No. And a lot of the humor is quite immature as well, isn't it? In terms of what we're meant to be laughing at. They're kind of taking the early, if you think back to sort of MySpace and Bebo, mm. a lot of the pages were sort of that, this is me and this is all the things I care about and, and oh, these are the things I like and these are the things I don't like. Yeah, and that that is really low-hanging fruit as well. Um, really low-hanging fruit to say, oh, look at this teenager that's put their whole life on the internet. What an idiot. Yeah, and it's exactly. Like, eh. <laughs> and, I, and I didn't, I didn't fit from what, and I did go through and read a lot of the pages, especially at the start, like I was just intrigued at this kind of like art yeah, installation so. of the internet and i didn't i didn't find anything where i thought ah, actually that's that's an interesting take on that or that's an interesting take on that i just thought mm, this is quite surface level yeah yeah the same with the band pages as well that's another thing that they do so uh there's a they've invented this whole kind of genre of music called cool punk which we'll get to because mm. music's a massive element in the game but one of the things is obviously the bands who who are trying to promote their stuff and are sharing other people's music and that kind of stuff and there's a lot of this is the music i like this is the music i've composed and it's again just kind of like sort of spoofing a myspace band page or a band camp page or something like that but in a way that's trying to be clever but doesn't feel that clever i didn't think <laughs> the one page i did actually really like was the the history of all of the music in this fictional world did you see that page yeah the genre it listed With a load of different genres. genres on and how they all move on really quickly and they've all got really yeah. like quirky and, and sometimes quite funny names because that was so detailed i quite liked that I don't know what you thought yeah. of it. No, no, I did enjoy that as well. And you could also conceivably see that was kind of a parody on the way that music genres have turned into subgenres and then mm. sub subgenres and all this stuff um, to a point where you ask someone what their taste of music is and it's old indie left field mm. sort of influenced with synth rock from the 80s or whatever. And you get these ridiculous amalgamations that are then given their own genre name and the game kind of spoofs that a little bit in a way that as you say is quite successful yeah because um, it goes from it goes from cool punk onto like cool punk is becoming not cool and they find someone lip syncing at a concert so everyone does like giant internet outrage about it um, and then yeah. there's this one page to begin with which is like the fungal group is growing 
and and then later on is like the new one is fungal music. Yeah. But again, that, I mean, they didn't really develop that. But yeah. just before we get into the music, because I do think we should talk about it extensively. Okay. Is uh, you were saying that why a puzzle in particular in the freelance was very vexing? Yeah, that puzzle because some of the puzzles they almost it, it was mainly this one to be fair where they handhold you so you end up downloading a, a video file which which tells you in pretty explicit terms what the password is that you need in order to progress to get the, the next file that you need but the hint for the answer is just wrong and i don't maybe it was me me um or maybe it was meant to be wrong on purpose but anyway it's just it's badly explained and there's no way you would be able to guess it because it's too badly explained mm. I think I know the one that you're talking about. That's one I ended up Googling. And when I saw the answer, I was like, that's just a bad clue. <laughs> yeah. I actually need to confess that when I was at that stage, I was really in a place of being of feeling like I'd spent hours and hours trawling this environment that I was getting very familiar with, was quite frustrated by, and actually... I just wanted to know the answers. Um, so I, I consulted guys totally fair. far too regularly. But the problem is when you get into a position where you feel like you're consulting guides to solve problems, then you don't feel like you're playing the game anymore. You mm. feel like you're jumping through hoops um, to sort of see the plot unfold, at which stage you may as well just watch someone else play it on YouTube <laughs> um, because that's the experience you're kind of having. And that, I think... I get why games do sometimes create puzzles that are deliberately very tricky, but the best games always give you an environment or a reason or the solution always feels within reach, even when you're not quite there. Like The Witness, for instance. Mm. The Witness, it's a joy to try and solve those puzzles. And when you, do, and when you feel like you're stuck up against one, there are hundreds of others that you can just go and explore. And maybe by exploring the other puzzle, it will give you a prompt on how to complete the one you were stuck on. Whereas with a game like this, if you get stuck on a puzzle, you just can't progress. The game just grinds to a halt. There's no, it's, it's not like you've got other options to finish. If you get stuck, you are stuck. You just can't proceed. And that was just too annoying, mm. I felt, especially because I wasn't enjoying the environment. Yeah, yeah. Talking of the freelance, actually, one of the notes I made was that... Um, <laughs> was that it, the game kind of acknowledges how if infuriating an environment the freelance is and how frustrating it is to be inside. Because at one stage in the dumpster section, there's a, there's a section called the dumpster, which is one guy kind of mocking everyone else on the internet or revealing controversies and that kind of stuff. And when he describes the freelance, he literally describes it as, quote, it takes ages to find what you're looking for. <laughs> Which is a, a full acknowledgement on behalf of the game devs that that is not going to be an easy environment to explore. And it does take ages and it's not particularly enjoyable. And another example is there's a game called Janitor, which is like a mini game that you download. And it's seen as a virus because you can, or malicious software anyway, because you can basically, you do a repetitive task and it gives you free money and they want it shut down because obviously they don't want people getting free money. But I played that for about 15 minutes to kind of get cash quickly. And I felt I could have played it a lot longer, but it was just really boring. <laughs> and it's one of those things, like a mini game that you can play and that you will almost have to play to get the money that you need, but it's not rewarding. It's just not a very enjoyable game to play. <laughs> and I felt like so much of this game was mini games of which they weren't particularly entertaining and weren't particularly enjoyable experiences. Yeah, I didn't even find that mini game. So I'm a little bit jealous that you got to play that. Oh, really? Janitor? <laughs> no. Never, never even found that. 
how did you have the money to do everything? I, because the game keeps asking you to, or charging you money to download pretty much anything. I think I was just doing a really good job as an enforcer. I even, um, there's, there's <laughs> one point, <laughs> there's one point in the game where you can pay for a solution, but it costs a lot of money. Um, and there is an, a way which you can get that solution without paying money. Mm. And because I had the cash, I just paid for the solution. And I found out later on, on the internet that you didn't have to pay for it. And even someone on the internet's like, why would you pay for it when the solution's so easy? Whereas at the time I was like, I'm definitely paying for it. I want to get this over with as quickly as possible. Yeah, I think I but did the same as you. With the navigation of the pages, um, one of the one of the times when it did make you feel clever, I felt, was when you could use the search function effectively. And it's quite a basic way to make the player feel clever. But when the only way to, well, the only two ways to navigate pages are through direct clicks between places and a search bar yeah it kind of makes you feel like you have found something secret when you see a clue for something to search and you type it into the search field and then you click enter and you see a secret page which you didn't see before i thought that was quite cool on occasion specifically with the almost illegal music file transfer system which the users have, have set up and there's a there's a code that you have to type in to get to each person's file transfer page yeah i kind of thought that was quite cool again a little bit underdeveloped and undercooked in the game as a whole but like had potential there and when i was using it i did feel like a detective which i think is what yes. the game was going for generally so that thing you're talking about there is f list i assume yeah yeah so f list is basically like a hidden server where people are storing illicit things and private journals mm. and, but you need to unlock various software tools before you can access it mm. i agree i felt that element of the game was interesting and certainly you feel like you're inside someone's private life when you're perusing their f list but this leads me to another area which is that one aspect of the game which we didn't touch on yet is because of the time jumps when the game takes you forwards you know i I mentioned act one act two and etc in the lead up to y2k and then you get the bigger jump afterwards one of the things that happens in the game is uh you eventually get into a situation where you can move between how the web was at those different times kind of an archiving system and as soon as they introduce that game mechanic as well the level of confusion just escalates massively because you're never I, well, I didn't feel like I was that ever sure which... I knew which which time zone I was in, but knowing which one I was supposed to be in to find the information that I needed was a whole layer of confusing that I just thought this is annoying as hell. <laughs> Even if you did know all of the pages really well, I think I think I mainly... Well, one of the reasons I found it really confusing is because my main exploration time was right at the start of the game when I was interested in its world to begin with so at the first instance of time i felt like i knew it actually quite well but then later Mm. on when i was just when i was getting impatient i didn't i guess i didn't know it as well and so when you're given those four options i didn't know which one to go to to find that specific bit of information which it's asking you to find i didn't complete that bit I, i definitely didn't find those five things that it asks you to get and I didn't see the end credits roll, which I assume it's possible to do. Oh, didn't you? Yeah, no. so I did both of those things, but largely as with this, with the help of guides, like I already said. Mm. I just, I, I'm one of those players, if I, if I bought the game, I want to see it end. And as much as I love playing the game, I don't want a game that's going to waste my time. And I felt like this game did not have any respect for your time whatsoever. And so as soon as I was getting stuck, I was thinking, right, I could be here for hours and hours and hours. I'm not going to sit there. I'm going to watch 
a tutorial and figure it out or read mm -hmm. a tutorial. Um, and so I did see the credits roll, but I didn't feel like it added much to the game. It is interesting that it has such positive reviews um, and that there are, the, and that most people that have played it, it appears, have, have felt really invested in the game and, and got really into it. Um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be interested to talk to someone or maybe read a, read a review or, of, the, of the game where someone, I don't know, con convinces me of its worth. Interestingly, I think it's all the things that we didn't particularly like, other people have liked. I mean, let, let's, let's move on to the music yeah, because let's. that is an area that... Um, there's a lot of music to it, let's put it that way. Um, mm. And the music's, I would say, quite eclectic. It tends to be based on a sort of synthy, glitchy, slightly annoying, as if you're playing a Game Boy and the, it's the soundtrack to the Game Boy that you're hearing round and round. Um, and it has an infuriating game mechanic, um, which actually prompted me to eventually mute the music in the game entirely, um, which is that when you change windows, the music accompanies the page you're on. So depending on which page you're on, you get given a different song. And there are times when you're almost flicking between pages. You just need to quickly consult a page, get a piece of information from it, and then jump back to the other page. Or you go to a page and you realize it's not the one you're after, so you quit and go back. And you end up in this sort of audio strobing situation where you load a page, a music starts playing, you back off the page, a different tune starts playing, you go to a different page, a third tune starts playing, and all of that's happened in seconds. And it's really irritating yeah again like that was a clear design decision which must have been intentional that you're going to hear the first 10 or 20 seconds of each track about 10 times and and never get to the end of them and like you say like that's a good way to describe it a musical strobe effect <laughs> because because you are constantly switching pages especially when you're looking for a specific bit of information so you just hear a big or blur out going back to the freelance there's a consistent track over the whole of that area of the game and although the song really really annoyed me i still kind of grew to love it a little bit because at least i had a chance to listen to it all the way through because as you changed pages it didn't change yeah so i was like ah oh, finally i actually get to listen to a whole song yeah all the way through even though it was utter trash <laughs> The other thing is that the music, I actually found, given that it was set in the late 90s, just about to transition into the noughties, I found the music was almost a few decades too early. There's a tune called I Am The Chowder Man by a guy called The Chowder Man, um, which is quite heavy, uh, I would say, 80s rock, really. Um, and that kind of felt misplaced in a way. Um, I think it was meant to set you up and really teleport you to that era, but really it does more of a job of because it's so synth dominated of being like you're in an electronic world in an electronic space. Um, all the sounds you hear are going to be electronic and the sound effects are the same really, aren't they? Yeah, they are. The, the only tune that I heard that I thought, oh, I genuinely actually like this. And I looked for it on Spotify afterwards. And even though there is a massive original soundtrack collection um, from of music from the game on Spotify and some of it. I must admit, when I was listening back to, maybe just it was a recognition. But some of it I thought, oh, yeah, I quite like this one. Yeah, um, me too. Me but, too. But the, one of the tunes that I couldn't find was a tune called Satellite Anthem by a guy called Barnaby's Chair, or a band called Barnaby's Chair in the oh, game. Yeah. Which is quite a good name for a band. That, th th this is the thing. There are, there are moments of, of amusement in the game, mm. and it is knowing and and can be very funny. 
I just felt in a lot of places it, it thought it was clever when it, it wasn't being clever. But this this Barnaby's chair, I've I've listened to since on on YouTube and stuff, and I do think it's a good song. It's by a guy in real life called Dan Warren, um, who I don't think has much of a profile as far as I can tell. But sorry, Dan, if it turns out you're massive, and I've just never heard of you. Yeah, Barnaby's chair. That is a page which is it's not exactly hidden away. I mean, it's as much hidden away as a lot of the other pages on the site. But there is no reason to go there other than to listen to that track, mm. I don't think. Or at least I didn't find a reason to go there. Um, so, I mean, you can go to the page and you can listen to the track and you can read along with the lyrics, sing along if you want to. But, uh, like, once you've gone there once, you're never going to hear that track again and then you're off. Yeah. Whereas the other, well, I mean, some of the songs I just liked less, I guess. Um, you were forced, like, there were a few tracks which you were forced to listen to over and over again. Like, that's like that Squishers one. Oh, I can't believe I've heard it so many times, that Squishy's track. <laughs> Which, I again, like, I listen, if I hear anything enough, I sort of almost grow to love it. But then, oh, I don't know, I hate it at the same time. Squishers! The other one that's making me think of is when, um, basically, the game throws viruses at you every now and again. I mean, it doesn't really mm. throw them. It seems almost, you kind of know before you even click on a file that it's probably going to give you a virus, um, mm. much like in real life. But yeah, certainly when you get a virus, there's a music that accompanies it or kind of a sound bass. And that was really repetitive and annoying when, when you got a virus. And then you have to go to the antivirus program and clean it up, which costs you money yeah. and all this kind of stuff. I mean, the, the, the game mechanics are, are okay in that regard. Although I didn't think the viruses were particularly imaginative, sort of glitchy images and annoying music. They were a nice touch, but not particularly imaginative. And then again, like it tried to sort of give you a little bit more intrigue with the viruses by aligning them with the creators of of hypnospace so at one point you shut down a virus and you get uh, an email from one of the creators saying i told you not to shut down that virus like we have that in there for a reason it's promoting this this and this or something along those lines yeah uh, and you're like oh okay i see where this is going they're creating malware on purpose so they can advertise to their user base while they sleep yeah yeah like it's an obvious point um, and you actually still find adds... some of the viruses hidden on one of the um, mm. founders' F-list pages. He's got a, yeah. a, pay, a file called something like Fun Viruses, and it turns out that a couple of them you've actually encountered in the game. Yeah. And also the same with one of the softwares, which I think is actually one of the viruses you just talked about, but is pitched more as a software, as like a little helper, which is sort of a parody of... Professor Helper. That's it, Professor Helper, which is a parody of Microsoft's Clippy, I think where every time you're doing anything, it, he pops up and says, it looks like you're doing this thing. Do you want me to give you any help? <laughs> and when it first happens, you think that's quite amusing. And then every single thing you do, he pops up and says that. And every time you dismiss him or click on, yes, please help me, it takes you to the same or one of about four pages that it cycles through. Mm. And at that stage, I was thinking, okay, you've outstayed your welcome. <laughs> this gag's outstayed its welcome for sure. And obviously you can you can eventually remove it, but mm. it's just a new. It did take me a very long time to find the antivirus, though. Maybe I wasn't looking hard enough for it. Hypnocure, is that what it's called? Hypnocure. But I put up with Professor Helper's hijinks for far too long. <laughs> yeah, I think I did as well. Irritating little guy. Mm. The other thing uh, I wanted to talk about was the language of the game and the way that it tries to have this 
I don't know whether it's aping the language that they use back then or trying to, but I can't really think of a good way to describe it other than it's as if you're reading something written in Comic Sans. <laughs> um, I don't know whether you know what I mean by that, but this sort of childlike, lots of abbreviations, um, lots of quite bad metaphors and puns mm. um, and that kind of thing. I think they're trying to make it tongue in cheek with that style, but it didn't really work for me, I don't think. Yeah, it would have been easier to take, I think, if that had been limited to the teen section of, yeah, of the game. Yeah, Teentopia. There's, there's, there's Teentopia where there's all the teenagers are meant to hang out. And that was quite Bebo-like, yeah. I thought. That's what it reminded me of. But then all of the other sections, you maybe expect a kind of a different level of maturity or a different kind of writing style. But you're right. It did all feel like it was written in that style. Yeah, exactly. Like BWL, that acronym. Uh, originally, I was like, is it a sort of alternative acronym or not acronym, but abbreviation for bull, like BS, like bullshit? <laughs> I thought maybe that's what they were going for. But it popped up in all sorts of environments and every everyone on the platform seemed to be using it, ranging from other enforcers to the founders of the entire platform to people to, like you say, teens on Teentopia. The voice and the, and the language didn't change. And I ended up, again, Googling what BWL meant. I don't know if I found it accurately. Well, what did, did you have an idea what it meant before I tell you what it, it seems to mean? I remember knowing what it was at the time, but I've forgotten what BWL is now. Oh, is it a real acronym? I, I, I can't remember. I can't remember. It seemed like a sort of lol in its usage. Okay. Um, so I looked it up and it, apparently it's short for bursting with laughter. Bursting with laughter. Makes sense. It does make sense, but man, that's lame. <laughs> <laughs> there was one uh, sober voice in Hypnospace and that was Greg's Guides, who I was very thankful for quite often. When I was stuck, I would often consult Greg's Guides to see what was going on and he, and he had some helpful hints and tips. This is a guy who had his own page, right? Yeah, but a really extensive page. So it's like one of the most extensive pages in the, in the whole thing. And he's got like on, on all the topics. It was from his side that I eventually found the HypnoCure. Right, um, okay, yeah. Link to download it and stuff. And and this I said before that uh, you can interact with it through just direct clicks or yeah. by searching. And it did actually take me a while before I realized you could search. Yeah, and that did open up the game for me at that me point. Me too. It took so long because the game doesn't show you that. In, in fact, it gives you a sort of little list of auto tags on the side mm. when you're on a page. And I thought that was the only uh, way. Yeah, me too. I thought that was the search. And it took me a while to actually realize you could you could search in a search bar like you could today. Mm. That was that was another sort of slow realization that rather than feel like a revelation that was exciting, felt like, oh, I wish you told me this hours ago. <laughs> I probably would have plowed through this a lot quicker. Yeah, I just stopped <laughs> spamming the back button on my on my browser yeah. until I got back to the site I was at before. Also, did you know that there's actually a section, the game, I don't think the game teaches you about, I found me referenced on a on a walkthrough page, was hints. There's a, there's a hints page that is this imaginary page where it says, this is you from the future and you're giving yourself advice. Um, it doesn't really explain how that works, but suffice to say, it, it breaks down the game into sections and asks you which bit you're stuck mm -hmm. on. And then you can reveal medium hints or moderate hints or strong hints, depending on like how much prompting you want. But I had no idea it was there. 
because I don't think the game told me it was there. And then once it was referenced, I thought, oh, well, I'd rather be looking at that page. If I'd known it was there, I obviously wouldn't have been Googling solutions. <laughs> right. It almost sounds like they anticipated the fact that a lot of players would want to look for a guide. And yes. So they inbuilt a guide into the game. Good observation. That's exactly but it. But <laughs> it doesn't quite work if, if you don't know, don't know where that guide is. Yeah. Did although, you find the guide? Although, to be fair, no, no, I have no idea about this at all. Yeah. I definitely would have used it if I knew about it. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, and like, it does but, tell you when you're, uh, uh, you have to pay for it, for instance, when you get there to get a hint, you pay three of their coins, hypno coins. Mm. I guess that's a way of making you think to yourself, do I really want to do this? But by middle of the game or the end of the game, basically whenever you're being confronted with these really tricky puzzles, three hypno coins is nothing. You don't even consider mm. that as being a, an obstacle to getting the hint. So didn't really work. Mm. It's, it's coming back to me a little bit more about the hypno coins, actually, because uh, it is, it is um, an in-game currency, a pseudo currency, like you get a lot of these days. Um, and you are a volunteer for the organization, but you are, you're being paid in in-game currency. That's your incentive as the, the person that you're playing in the game, isn't it? Yeah, is to yeah. earn more hypno coins. Yeah, you're right. That's true. So I guess you've got a bit of real world satire there. Do you think we're at such a time as we might be able to go into some spoilers? Yeah, definitely. We're definitely more than halfway through. So let's let's go into spoiler territory. Because I, wa- I want to talk about the characters in the end of the game and how like what you thought about them and how, how much you cared. Because I cared a little bit more at the end. Okay. All right. So we are hereby transitioning into spoiler territory into the spoiler zone <laughs> yeah into spoiler zone exactly spoiler lands go on then shoot pick up on the exact thing you were just referencing there well the the game cut comes to its final conclusion like not only do the company who create hypnospace update it to hypnospace 2000 which is again a really tongue-in-cheek reference surely to windows 2000 and yeah. the game at that up until that point is is quite stable and through your own actions things are getting quite fast and then as soon as you update to hypnospace 2000 it's glitchy as hell again and you're like oh my god back back to square one yeah i also think it was it was trying to spoof the millennium bug vibe Uh, yeah i didn't even think of that but yeah definitely was. well certainly the so what happens is not to this is really a spoiler i mean it basically ruins the plot to some extent um but there's mm. there's it's a short game ish so. it is a short game yeah at the end you update your headset you get kicked out immediately and the time jumps forwards and when you log back in it turns out there's been a tragedy six people have died because their hypnospace bands malfunctioned and basically killed them in their sleep mm. and loads of others hundreds i think maybe even thousands were injured and it's all attributed to the work of this hacker tim this malevolent hacker and then the plot from there develops to raise questions about whether it really was tim um and his bad hacking decisions he's a guy who's been trying to impress a a girl throughout the entire thing with his sort of feats of hacking or whether it was the update that caused the problem and as you can probably already Mm. guess it's the update (laughs) it's definitely the update so throughout the game there's this thing called beef brain where people are saying kind of ironically warning each other 
within the thing which they're still using that by using their hypnospace headbands they're going to get a thing called beef brain and yeah. there hasn't been much research into it and doctors still aren't sure what the causes are i quite so, like this because it mimicked the fears about mobile phones and wi-fi and are they are uh, is all the electromagnetism frying mm-hmm. our brains and that sort of thing there's even a literal sticker which you can download and put on your desktop which is which is meant to which you can pay hypnospace coin for which is meant to protect you from the effects of beef brain and it remind, reminded me of my friend who has one of those um like little like shiny labels on their mobile phone to protect them from their mobile phone radiation really yeah oh man that is great yeah but yeah going back to to tim and the story so there's there's clearly this setup for the beef brain and for people coming to harm but then some people die and they pin it on this guy, Tim, who released a totally harmless sort of image virus onto the thing to impress the girl, like you said, which clearly has nothing to do with the malfunctioning of the headbands, which we've had loads of setup for, just it being the technology that's gone wrong. And he goes to no, prison. No, no, it's, so, it's, wait, it turns out it's not even an image virus. So he's he hijacks Teentopia hmm. with a page that says, I can't remember what it's called now, but like the apocalypse or something. Mm-hmm. But he puts a countdown timer on the page and he says he's going to, you know, ruin the entirety of the browser unless this person puts in a password within a specific time. Like a stupid game premise prompting you to find the password to enter it. When you finally do and you log in, you get a text file where it says there isn't really even any kind of apocalypse thing. I've just hijacked the page and made you put in a password, but there's actually nothing that's going to happen when the countdown hits zero. I just really wanted you to log in and read this page because he's basically writing a love letter to this girl, isn't he? Yeah. So it's not even an image virus, I would say, that that he does. They just think that the apocalypse yeah, what, really did happen. What I meant by image virus is just it, it's, a, it's a visual thing. Like Teentopia looks a little bit weird. And then, yeah, like you said, you have to input that password. So clearly the, right, yeah. the, the deaths are nothing to do with him. But the company, Merchantsoft, completely pins it on him. And he believes that he's done yeah. it as well. That's what I thought was sad, yeah. is, that, is that he believes he's killed six people. And then when you flash forward 20 years on um, and he's got a family and stuff, he still really regrets what he did and feels really bad about it yeah. and all that sort of thing. He's distraught. So. Yeah, and I actually thought like, oh, that is bad, bad for him. Yeah, that oh. was the first moment in the whole game that I felt emotionally engaged with the characters mm. and it was just that one character really yeah and and it's because it did it sh- like tonally it shifted massively from that kind of teen immature language that you which you were talking about before to quite grown up sort of just kind of more more real language yeah and uh, we forgot to mention kind of a key element of the game which perhaps we should have even mentioned pre-spoilers but oh well is the outlaw element which is one of the co-founders of Merchantsoft and of the browser and the platform that you're using, Hypnospace, is also developing a game for the platform called Outlaw, which he's obsessed with. It's not very clear why, because it's just a really bad driving game. It's kind of one of those side-scrolling platformers where your car moves between different lanes, which I'm not being funny, but I'm pretty sure by 1999 to 2000, games were way more advanced than that. So I'm not sure if that was a joke in and of itself. I'm guessing it is. Maybe not games that you could play while you sleep. Yeah. All right. That's very generous of you. That game was (laughs) terrible. 
like when you first get to download that game and I opened it up, I, I was actually, I was really excited because I thought, oh, a nice little fun mini game. This will be an interesting little tidbit for me to engage with. Yeah. And then you play it and you're like, what is this? <laughs> and then yeah. the thing crashes. So it's like, okay, I see what you're doing, but I would have liked to have had some fun first. Yeah. Well, so then at, at the end of the game, he releases the finished version, Outlaw 1.0. And it turns out that by the by that time, he's kind of come to terms with the fact that really it was the software update that caused the problems and caused the deaths. And he was responsible for that. And so into the game, he builds this sort of eulogy to all of the people he's killed and kind of confesses his guilt in a sort of indirect manner that I think was meant to be profound or affecting, um, but really didn't either of those things to me i didn't find that so i didn't i i don't know what to say oh you didn't get to that bit no i didn't get to that bit did you not get to the bit where dylan admits guilt then no oh what oh maybe that's to do with the um the five the five things that you're meant to find i assume yeah, so but exactly but but it was weird because at that point i was i, I mean I, to be honest i was gonna get back to it i was finding the things but then i wasn't getting any feedback on the things so like i downloaded the one of the music files and then wouldn't get an email about it so i was like is this working like what's going on yeah so what normally what actually happens is when you complete it the page updates and it gets like a red stripe through it and, and says you've basically completed that task as you complete those five things you get a prompt an email from samantha one of the other enforcers who's kind of been giving you guidance throughout the game or not guidance but tasks because they always reference that there's a team of volunteers and enforcers, but it seems pretty much like it's just you and Samantha. And yeah, she gives you tasks saying she thinks she's uncovered a conspiracy and that actually it was the update that caused the trouble. And so she gives you this private task of while you're researching those five missing things, also try and find some information, some dirt, basically, that corroborates mm. the story about the update causing the issue. And then Dylan mm. gets recruited as well. And he starts sending you emails being like, before you publish anything, maybe just check with me in a kind of trying to cover his tracks, which again, didn't really add up for me because then when you do find the evidence is him, he's suddenly really contrite and offers this apology mm. in a way that I felt given that he'd come back and made the effort to cover his tracks didn't seem very plausible yeah did you understand why the game had been resurrected 20 years on was it literally just as a history project for the people involved yeah it tries to paint it as though some people with the original hypnospace bands have found that they're still functioning and they're still mm. able to get into it and so much in the same way as something like the web archive project yeah where you can you know log in and it's sort of a time machine of the web and you can set what year you want to be in and it takes yeah. you to that how the page looked at that time uh it's the same thing they're trying to build that essentially so that for posterity people can sort of return to hypnospace and be like oh yeah do you remember this was the development of the technology blah 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 except the only way to access it is through a deadly headband which you wear yeah. in sleep <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and Any also, takers? man alive that archive UI was so confusing. I got lost so many times using that archiving tool. Yeah, well, I clearly did because there was loads that I missed. I didn't start getting any private emails from Samantha or, or Dylan, I don't think. Maybe I got one from Samantha. I'm not sure. Oh, where she admits to being Chelsea. No. So there's didn't another get that. character who has, oh, didn't you? So oh, that's meant to be a loads. twist, I think. 
but it doesn't feel like a twist because Chelsea was never very relevant as a character. She was just someone with a page who hadn't really updated their page much and every now and again cropped up commenting in Teentopia kind of thing. Mm. I mean, to be honest, how I felt about it is pretty clear in the sense that there were elements which I enjoyed, elements that I thought deserve acknowledgement and mm. being called out. I'm as... really surprised I didn't like it more because given what I knew about it beforehand, I, I expected to like it loads. It's the type of game which I usually do really enjoy. Like I said, I love Papers, Please. Um, but yeah, no, didn't didn't do it for me. So yeah, I think I think we're probably about on the level on this one, aren't we? I'm surprised that you didn't enjoy it as well because I was actually a bit worried when I started messaging you that I was uh, sort of leaking my opinion into my chats and that you were going to know from my correspondence with you that actually I was really not enjoying it. And I kept having to reread my messages and just check that they were not too opinionated before we'd actually had this conversation. And so I'm really hoping that none of my messages sort of skewed your own enjoyment of it none of your messages did i mean i mean i know your game tastes well enough to know that you probably wouldn't have enjoyed it but the fact that you played it through all in one day was a massive hint because i just thought ben's getting this over with (laughs) yeah but that could have gone both ways it could have been because i was really compelled and engaged yeah i suppose maybe it was the way that you wrote that message that i thought of it (laughs) um all right so yeah hypnospace kind of nice idea bad puzzles (laughs) not emotionally invested in it two thumbs down yeah (laughs) yeah what i would say what i would say (laughs) is that it's got quirk and it's got originality and i would argue that if it pops up in steam or in one of their winter sales and you can grab it for two pounds 49 or whatever by all means give it a whirl Mm. like it's it's not that bad and it's certainly got some some assets uh but for 15 pound 50 i would not embark on that massive time investment and pay money to do so. <laughs> yeah, it's it's def it's definitely worth a little look in if you if you can get it for cheap. And I mean, the, it might chime with you more than it did with us, anyway. So, and it, it has clearly chimed with a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, next time, uh, Sekiro. Yeah. So down. we're gonna do uh, Sekiro Shadows <laughs> Die Shadows Die Twice. Is that what it's called? I think it is. I reckon that's probably a thirty-hour game again, same as Disco Elysium. Yeah, I think it could be quite ambitious. I'm, I've got to be honest laying my cards on the table i'm a bit anxious about it for two reasons one i think because it's such a new game my graphics card might not hack it and two having played dark souls for the first time very recently again a game that everybody unanimously loved i found that torturous i really found it frustrating partly Mm. just because the aesthetic was so dull now obviously it's an old game it's aged a lot but also just the the dying thing some people love it didn't do it for me but i'm hoping with sekiro because you've got a much more vivid world and it's much newer and hopefully it'll be much more aesthetically pleasing and the gameplay will have moved on a little bit these are all Mm. things i'm hoping for we shall find out yeah well i you know i love dark souls it's definitely one of my favorite games so uh i i know that i'm going to really enjoy sekiro but as you say i I don't we have the same laptop so if yours isn't going to run it then surely i'm going to have the same problems we'll just play it on low low graphics eh? (laughs) yeah just play it on low graphics you don't even notice the graphics after like 15 20 minutes i don't anyway i'm so used to looking at bad graphics all right until next time let's uh yeah enjoy your pixel vision thanks for listening everybody (laughs) there's got to be some sort of little pun that we can use (laughs) 